Welcome to the Part-Time Outdoors Podcast. Hosted by Matt Noss and Nate Wright. Jameson, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Welcome to the show, buddy. It's been a long time coming. It has been, man. I think we made our first contact about a year ago, so I'm happy that this has uh, finally happened, dude. Absolutely. I'm. Uh, if you hear some cars driving by, I'm sitting in the Walmart parking lot right now. <laughs> uh, it's the only place around that I get decent cell phone service, so uh, I'm not. Gotcha. I'm not driving, but. Uh, I am uh, sitting in the Walmart parking lot. I may turn my truck on from time to time just to get a little air conditioning so the, uh, the equipment doesn't <laughs> overheat, but uh, we'll be... It sounds like a, a New Age country song. Now we're, now we're sitting in Walmart parking lots for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. The, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about a half an hour from Walmart, so I've, I'm really nowhere near any good cell phone or service. Uh, with the pastor at my church the other day was talking about uh, we don't even have running water at our church, so we're we're out awesome. in the boonies a little bit. I like it, man. I like it. That's uh, everyone says you're farthest from anything, but I feel like you're in the middle of it all. No, that you know what I like that quote. So, yeah, you're in the middle of it all. If you don't have if you don't have service, you're you're lucky there. You know, well, I'm going camping this weekend, and um, that's one thing I always look forward to is because where we go, we go up towards uh, Spruce Knob. It's like one of the highest points in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And but we camp down like along the creek and there is no cell phone service and I look forward to it every year. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's uh every time I feel like we go camping somewhere anymore, you always have cell phone service. I've been out, you know, out west elk hunting a couple of times now and I feel like the higher I climb, I'm like, all right, I'm away from my cell phone and my phone dings <laughs> and I have like full service. I'm like, what is going on, man? Yeah. There is a little <laughs> bit of comfort to that though when you're out there. Um, just based off the fact of emergency services is always yeah, handy. Yeah, yeah. But I carry uh, I carry one of those Garmin Alpha 200 eyes, and it has that SOS nice. button on it. So that's always a, a nice calming factor in the back of my head. Yeah, I need to get something like that. I, I've yet to really invest in that. I just uh, take my chances, which I shouldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thanks for coming on again. Um, this is Jameson Hibbs from BHA, Backwoods hunters and anglers and you are the chapter coordinator for several states that's correct yeah correct so yeah chapter coordinator for backcountry hunters and anglers i cover uh let's see michigan indiana kentucky ohio west virginia and oklahoma you stay busy then definitely stay busy uh, we definitely stay busy i mean all of our chapters uh, we have some awesome chapters here in the midwest going over to the east and everyone's pretty amped up about conservation on public land so they uh, they're always looking for great activities and events to get out there get people involved um so yeah we have we have some good good volunteers that really run the show for us that's one great thing about your organization for sure as you can tell there's a lot of people behind the scenes doing a lot of work because i'm always getting emails and uh and letters and stuff about events coming up and and things like that and it's good to it's good that they stay engaged so well and that's probably why you guys have grown so much it definitely is. I mean, we have we have a pretty good dynamic on our on our board structures where people are really focused on events, some on fundraising, and a lot of them really focused on policy. And especially in the springtime, late winter and spring, whenever we have our state sessions going on, and of course anything federally coming down the line, we start getting a lot of those emails about what's happening, you know, locally at your local level on our public lands. 
Um, and that's where a lot of those emails come out to keep everyone informed. Hey, this is happening in your neck of the woods. You might want to keep your eyes on this. I mean, whether no matter which way you kind of view on it, at least you're getting that information from BHA coming out to kind of be privy to what's happening. You, that's a great point. They, I mean, I have got a lot of emails and I, you guys were, I don't know if you were the first to do it, but um, I remember even several years ago, just getting those quick links in the email. Hey, d- all you have to do is click this link and here's how you can reach your governor, your legislature, just send them an email. And you guys definitely made it a lot easier um, as far as all that goes. But uh, yeah, yeah, those action alerts have been, they've been very really invaluable yeah. for us. Uh, actually, because it gives you a, a quick, like you just said, one click of the button and you have a letter submitted. Now it's on the BHA now. And those work out fantastic, especially if they receive them in the masses. But if somebody's really passionate about whatever that legislative uh, topic it might be, legislative to- topic is, I ha- still highly recommend you know making that quick phone call. It takes less than five minutes to reach out to your elected official. You're probably going to get one of their staffers, but trust me, they still relay the message, especially if those phone calls come in masses along with those those letters, those take action notices. So it's, it's pretty important to reach out. It still works. Some people don't feel like, you know, making those contacts work, but I, I can definitely tell you that it, it certainly does work. Yeah, I, I've been guilty um, of not making the phone calls, but when I do get the action alerts, I do try to, to at least send an email at minimum. Um, but if, Jameson, if you want to tell everybody that may not know, I'm sure most of the people that listen to this co- podcast are somewhat familiar with BHA. But um, just along those lines, if you got just want to tell them a little bit about yourself and then um, about the BHA mission, what kind of the goals are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess we should start from there, huh? <laughs> so, you know, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, it's a, it's a national conservation organization started way out west, out in Oregon in 2004. And it was, you know, the idea is, you know, we have a lot of great conservation organizations out there that are really more animal specific, like RMEF and Ducks Unlimited and, and NWTF. And then, you know, the idea was we really need to get something out there that really helps identify and, and works with other, you know, um, organizations for public lands. You know, the vast majority of people, especially out west and especially in some states like West Virginia, where a lot of people do on a lot of public, you guys have a lot of public land there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their only source or only you know, opportunity to get out for hunting and fishing or foraging or hiking or any of the above just to actually get out and exercise and be in nature is on public properties. And so, you know, that's when that's how BHA was formed is really to identify and help state agencies and help, you know, other organizations to really, you know, increase those access opportunities for hunting and fishing um, on public lands. And. And, and of course, you know, over the past, you know, 20 years, roughly, it's been almost 20 years for us now. It's definitely spread. We have chapters in, uh, in every state um, and, and every state has one chapter. Um, and that's, you know, that chapter structure kind of looks with volunteers from all over the state. But like I said a little bit ago is we try to keep that structure within those chapters um, to really kind of be broad and diverse where they can focus on events, policy, fundraising, um, and then obviously communications to get that information out to everybody. So. You know, BHA kind of takes that strong front hold on a lot of our public land initiatives um, across the states. In, in West Virginia, they've been very active. There's a pretty young chapter there. They just started right in 2020. So they got their chapter, then COVID hit. Um, I know the national park right there, the expansion was kind of the hot topic at the moment where they became a chapter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, COVID kind of took the sail out of the winds for a lot of people, you know, with the shutdown. And then people are slowly getting those events rolling back again. And, and our West Virginia chapter has done an excellent job the past year now, really trying to you know get a lot of their information back out there. Um, I came on to BHA about a, a little over a year ago now. My entire background, I was a parks and rec director um, for a couple of county departments in Indiana. 
Um, so my background is primarily, you know, a property manager for public lands. Um, both my properties were fishing destinations. The last one was called West Box Park, about 622 acre fishing destination. We did have some waterfowl hunting out there, big campgrounds for both of them. Um, so this was kind of right up my alley. Whenever I found out about DHA, I got pretty active with the Indiana chapter. I was the chapter president there for about a year um, until I found this role with uh, DHA as a chapter coordinator. And I, uh, I honestly just dove right into it. So, yeah, it's, it's been great. It's funny you said that about 2020 because uh, on my way here, I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I better make sure my membership's not expired before I get on and do an interview with the chapter coordinator. <laughs> and sure enough, it was. I just renewed. But uh, it, it had my initiation date, I, I believe, in 2020, and that would make sense um, if that was when they first started here in West Virginia. That's that's when they first started. They hit the ground running pretty hard, um, and then we definitely kind of revamped some stuff, and you know, we're kind of coming back out with some good projects, some good uh, some good events coming up here soon. But yeah, like you know, kind of retracting back a little bit. You know, BHA is definitely it's like a lot of the other national conservation orgs. It's membership driven, membership based, and then of course we definitely rely on our outstanding volunteers to kind of run the show for us. We have an awesome you know awesome staff kind of doing a lot of behind the scenes work. Uh, but our volunteers in all of our states definitely run DHA for us. I mean, there's some awesome people out there. So you're talking about um, kind of collaboration, and or, or you were talking about the different programs. Uh, I'm just kind of curious as far as uh, if you want to explain to people what all different programs you have, and are any of those programs collaborative programs, like, uh, or could they be like, uh, for instance, I'm a member of Rough Grouse Society. I'm real passionate about grouse. Like, is is there a way to be to get the BHA uh, members together with the Rough Grouse Society members and then work on one certain thing? Is it kind of segregated? Like, how does that work? Oh, that's a good question. Absolutely, yeah. The collaborative efforts is is one way to really get a much bigger impact for conservation around the state. So I know in a lot of our other state chapters, and I know in West Virginia, we definitely had some conversation with Rough Grouse Society, um, NWTF, RMEF, um, you know, DU, all those other great organizations out there. You know, a lot of what our BHA members really enjoy doing, you know, we, we send out an annual survey and people always ask for more stewardship projects. They want grassroots, get your, you know, burn some boot leather, get your fingernails dirty type work in our states. And I feel like a lot of that is it gives people an opportunity to really get out and know that they, they can look over their shoulder and see a job well done, whether it be some invasive species mitigation for wildlife restoration. It might be a wood duck box build. Um, it might be, you know, native restoration work, some tree plantings, uh, or maybe just a normal pack out going out and picking up trash. Um, but people really like looking over their shoulder to see a job well done and knowing they've made that impact. And, you know, so having those collaborative efforts with other NGOs is very imperative. For one, you get more people to the table, yeah, especially if you're going to do a lot of this work on DNR properties. You know, DNR can use those volunteer hours as leverage to get more money, more funding for Pittman-Robertson money coming down the line federally. Oh, I didn't even so think about D that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, if, if, if BHA sets up the event and we have uh, Rough Grouse Society come join us or vice versa, and we all kind of do this collaboratively and we get 20 people there, well, heck, man, that's that's extra funding for DNR on top of, you know, they, they got the people that set up these events. And I've been on this side of the spectrum. You know, when you set up an event, you get 10, 15, 20 people show up. You're like, wow, I, this is great. You know, it really kind of invigorates why I'm doing this. And so working with those other, you know, collaborating with those other uh, those other organizations, 
you have a better opportunity to get people there. And then obviously everyone can talk about their, their mission. We, we all realize that some people don't know much about BHA or we may not know much about Rough Grass Society, but then that gives us a chance to really kind of collaborate and discuss our missions and realize just how much they are intertwined. Yeah. And it can, it can help when, when you're out there working with people too, you form that bond. So, I mean, it, you could make a hunting partner or, or learn information. And once you start making those bonds, I feel like it kind of keeps you engaged and keeps you connected. And, and that's one thing is, uh, you know, so many people fall out of hunting as they get older, they get busy. But I mean, if you stay connected and engaged, that's, that's one way to help keep members and help keep the mission going. It, it definitely does. I mean, it's, it's one of those where you, yeah, gaining that personal network is definitely an important thing. I have a lot of good friends now because of BHA. Um, even whenever I was just the Indiana chair, I made some great networks throughout the state. And of course, slowly meeting people in the adjacent states. Um, once I, uh, you know, once I took this position, my wife and I, my kiddo, we moved down here to uh, near Mount Sterling, Kentucky. And, you know, one of my first ways to meet people was obviously through the BHA chapter. So that was kind of imperative, you know, being involved with these conservation orgs that, you know, on a personal level. Um, to be able to meet, get out, meet and greet some folks, kind of feel welcome to the area. So people that are relocating to a new state or an area, even within maybe their home state, you know, that's a great way to get out and meet some people, some potential networks, maybe a future hunting buddy. It may just be somebody to you know share some stories with and some waypoints on Onyx. You never know, but it's definitely a good good reason to get out. Plus, it's for me too. You know, my daughter's nine now, and being out and getting her involved with some of these stewardship projects. I took her down to a fish habitat build at Buckhorn Lake in Kentucky about a month ago, and the kiddo got into it, man. But just having her see me and some other adults do it and then watching her get her hands dirty and doing it is one of the reasons that really keeps me driven to do it as well. Um, it's not just for me. It's, it's certainly for her future and the benefit for everybody thereafter. Yep. I have, I have a daughter as well coming up on one year now. And I, I think of the same thing, you know, what it's going to be like when, when she gets old enough to get out there in the woods. And um, that's one thing that keeps me going for sure. You said uh, Kentucky Mount Sterling, is that close to uh, Lexington? Yeah, it's about 35 minutes straight east of Lexington there on 64. Okay, yeah. I'll tell you what, I have a lot of family that live out that way, like Danville and out, out that way, but uh, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a beautiful state. I mean, if I had to pick another state uh, to live in under West Virginia, other than Maine or West Virginia, it would be uh, <laughs> probably Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. My wife and I, uh, my wife's from Southern Missouri, so she's from the Ozarks, and of course I had her in Indiana there for a while, and she's happy to be down here into some hills again. So <laughs> she's she likes it down here, and honestly, that once we went over to West Virginia last year, we were both like, hmm, yeah, if we moved anywhere else nearby, it might be here in West Virginia. We definitely both enjoy the mountains. For sure, and uh I would like to talk a little bit. We're going to get into uh, muster and the marsh a little later on. I know you, you're kind of wanting to promote that a little bit before it comes up, but um, I'm a little bit curious about uh, there's so many rumors back and forth and people have a hard time catching up with, you know, the legislation and stuff like that. And uh, I knew that I know you guys just had a massive victory um, on the corner crossings out in Wyoming, uh, which congrats on that. I mean, that's a huge step for for public land hunters and uh but i'm curious as far as west virginia goes have you whatever came of like the atv bill i know they were fighting um atvs on public land uh, do you have any updates on that oh uh, there's a little bit of an update so yeah that's one thing that you know our chapter is definitely taking initiative on is a lot of the ohb usage on public land um 
And and that's a hard definitive line to really take because you know everyone understands the necessity um, of the of a tool of a, of an OHV and ATV. Um, there's it's a mobility issue. Some people have to use those to get out there and really access some of the hunting and fishing areas, and and everyone understands that. And I think uh, the issue that BHA has with it, um, at least that chap our chapter in particular, is the fact that you know some of the legislation coming down the line, it seems like they they want to have. OHV usage pretty much on all public lands, state forests, state parks, all WMAs. And and it's not that we're opposed to access for folks. It's the fact that, you know, with that, the caveat of having at our ATV and trails all over those public areas is there's so many detrimental impacts you're going to have. For one, a lot of wildlife displacement. Because not everybody's going to go out there just to go out to their deer stand. There's going to be a lot of joyriders out there. Um, it's going to be, you know, 365. People are going to be doing it all, you know, pretty much all year long. During and, you know, and, and everyone can make that exactly. Breeding During seasons. Hunting, they're going to do it exactly. Breeding seasons. If there's ever a hard winter, people are out there playing in the snow in their ATVs, which is fun to do. I've done it myself. But at the same time, <laughs> those animals are really hard pressed for for any sort of winter habitat, and you're pushing them around. That's just more stress on the animal, especially whenever those calves or especially whenever those does or elk in some units are going to have those calves and those fawns. You don't want to have any impact on that. But on top of that, I mean, you also have a lot of erosion issues. Um, anytime you have a lot of, you know, trails that are really impacted like that, you're going to have erosion going down the side of those mountains, side of the hills, which is going to impact your quality of water. Um, and then you can have detrimental impacts on your fish habitat. So it's it, it's there's there's a lot of reasons that you know BHA is taking that strong stance against OHVs on all public lands uh, around West Virginia, um, and those are kind of everything in a nutshell. So I know this past legislative legislative session, you know they they were trying to get OHVs kind of passed on pretty much all public lands, and I believe there was an amendment there at the very end that did uh, it kind of rescinded a lot of that down to um, just maybe small connector trails from existing. OHV um, property. So I know they had it on, uh, I know that obviously the Hatfield McCoy mm -hmm. uh, trail system. I think there was, they were trying to get some stuff coming off of those. I'm trying to find the exact legend. I meant to have this pulled up a little bit ago and I did last night and then I got off of it this morning. <laughs> um, but I believe the, uh, the legislation, like I said, was kind of rescinded to not having any additional ATV trails on state parks and state forests. But right now they did not have anything in there about keeping them off of additional WMAs, um, which obviously, you know, state forests, state parks, you have a lot of conservation organizations, even non-consumptive users really looking at that use. You don't want, you know, state parks are supposed to be about preservation anyway. Um, so, you know, having ATV uses on state parks would be kind of a, Kind of going back, kind of going against really what a state park should be about it, as as you know, as far as historically what their purpose is. Um, state forests, you know, same thing. There's a lot of you know, state forests are usually designated for you know consumptive resources, even for natural resources such as logging, which you know, goes back into state funding. Um, so you know, then you have your WMAs, or you know, managed for hunting and fishing access, which is I think maybe one of the reasons, unfortunately, why they were left off of this amendment. Um, so that there's a possibility in the future of getting more ATV trails on WMAs, which goes back to what we talked about earlier as far as wildlife habitat goes. It's kind of counterintuitive to be running around out there all over with, uh, with trails, right. ATV trails, and running the wildlife around on areas you're trying to pursue them on. That, that's totally understandable. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, 
I feel like another kind of caveat to it too, and I, I'm still kind of up in the wind with everything. I mean, I, I know where I stand on the ATVs, you know, I, I agree mm-hmm. with you totally. But as far as like e-bikes, do the, are those considered the like the same as an ATV? I know West Virginia had some pending legislation in that. I I hadn't really heard anything recently. Um, but are they considered kind of the same as ATVs, or is that like a different category? Um, I, I believe e-bikes are a different category. I know na- the national stance for BHA on e-bikes is you know they are a great tool. Um, you know, they, they can get people, especially in the, the, the mountainous areas, you're not going to have, they're not going to be out really rutting stuff up like an ATV. Right. They're not going to be running through creeks, creating new trails, really causing the erosion. People on e-bikes, from what I've recognized, is they stay pretty much on the same trails or paths as a normal cyclist will. And most it just of them helps them get a little bit further. Too. Not, and not they're disturbing quiet, yeah. the nesting and all that kind of stuff. Exactly right. And, and I know from a national stance, you know, e-bikes, we're, we're supportive of e-bikes as long as wherever they're legally allowed to go. So, you know, a lot of the, the issue there a couple of years ago is allowing e-bikes in wilderness areas, which, you know, a wilderness area is designated for no motorized use whatsoever. Right. And an e-bike obviously has a little motor in it, so they are deemed illegal on wilderness areas, which kind of caused a little bit of an upheaval for some of the e-bike community. But at the same time, I mean, it's, it's pretty much black and white. If, if the poor folks can't go out there, if, even with a battery-powered chainsaw to do trail work, they have to use a cross-cut saw. You know, that's to me, <laughs> and that's going out there for maintenance, then people on e-bikes probably shouldn't be out there in designated wilderness areas either. Right. But at the same point, you know, they're a great tool. They're quiet. They're very... They're they're not disruptive. Um, so, you know, the stance for BHA has always been if it's legal for bicycles and legal for e-bikes, then go for it. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. So, uh, kind of another curious question I had was, uh, what's kind of like the five-year plan for BHA? Like, what are, what are you guys looking to accomplish? Do you have anything huge coming up um, in West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, anything like that? Anything like on the horizon that people were, are just now finding out about? Like any, anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I really think, you know, the, the main five-year plan, especially for these eastern states, is, you know, everyone over here is still relatively young chapters. I think the majority of us here, Ohio, I think became a chapter in 2018. So they're one of the older chapters around. The rest of us is, you know, 2018 all the way up and through 2020. Um, and so the, the main five-year plan, I believe, for, for all of my states, which I'm over the majority of you listed, is, you know, just getting our membership base, you know, increased. And, and what that does, you know, for one, it gives our states more funding to do a lot of that great conservation work. You know, the more members we have, the more money we can then, you know, reallocate towards events, towards, you know, stewardship projects. But then it also gives us a bit more clout with a higher membership base whenever we have big legislation issues like the OHVs or e-bike stuff or anything else that may come down the wire. So if, you know, if we write the, write our state elected officials and say we have, you know, 300 members in the state of West Virginia, then they're actually going to turn over and look at it. So, okay, cool. Let's hear what BHA has to say. So I know that's one of our goals in all those states, you know, Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, and, and even the others adjacent to you is to really increase membership um, which then obviously gives us the ability to do a lot more of our conservation work. That makes a lot um, and, of sense. And, yeah. And, and, and obviously through increasing membership, there's a lot of ways to do that through membership engagement, through a lot of you know social media posts, just getting information out there that's relevant to our users in that particular state or region. There's having, you know, we have a variety of different events. We have our social events. We have, you know, historically we've been known for our pint nights. 
But you know, over in Kentucky, we started really doing a great conservation coffee series this past winter, um, which allowed a lot of DNR officials and other conservation organizations to come to the table in more of a family-type setting because everybody loves coffee, too. Um, so I'm trying to definitely get more of those social events out there. Um, obviously, a lot of stewardship projects. You know, We're working on a couple in West Virginia that will be coming up soon. Um, we have one at the Stonewall Jackson WMA Habitat Day that will be August 12th. And then we also do, actually tomorrow, we have a, a great um, a virtual workshop for uh, wild edibles. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I saw your email on that, and I have to work, but I might try and log on at work if they let me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> and, and, you know, those little virtual workshops work out really well. I mean, it's, it's something you can log on to at home. You can watch it. Um, you can learn a little bit. You can, you can actually see, you know, kind of, almost kind of create a bit of a network for yourself there. But at least gives you an idea of what DHA has to provide. This is not just hunting and fishing, you know, edibles and you know, obviously foraging is a huge, a huge part of public lands. And, and we have a couple of guys, three or four guys in the West Virginia chapter that really do a lot of great foraging out there in West Virginia. So they're excited to bring this one to the table. Um, I know one of them, one of our board members has an annual ramp camp with his family. So he's out there in the spring with his family doing or digging up ramps, which is awesome. Um, so, you know, we have that coming up and I know we're working uh, with DNR to, to locate maybe a couple of more stewardship projects for later on this year. You know, September's lands month and obviously, you know, BHA loves that month. And so we're really looking at trying to get a couple more events around September um, in West Virginia, too. It'll be nice and a little cooler then, too. I remember uh, kind of why I was interested so much in that workshop. Me and my buddies, we, we do a camping trip every year and uh one year we went up uh, and we we're like, we're just going to take hot dogs. We didn't really say that, but that's just kind of how it ended up. And we we're like, we'll catch uh -huh. it. We'll catch enough fish. We'll be good. Well, we didn't catch any fish. I think we caught one <laughs> and we pretty much starved. And just just being out there and not having food. And I mean, you know, you know, the usual stuff you can eat like ramps and things like that. But uh, it, it, it is hard to tell, if you, especially if you don't keep on top of it and do it often. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so classes like that are invaluable, especially to the people coming up, the, the younger generations that, that they just, there's a lot of knowledge that's lost. So anything like that, I'm all over. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the things that VHA really kind of pushes out there is more that sustainability effort, you know, that renewable resource, like a wild game meat or sorry, wild game meat, hunting and fishing and then foraging. And there are so many opportunities out there, even in your backyard. Uh, foraging items, you know, from, you know, from milkweed to cattails to, you know, dandelions, anything like that, that you can find literally out your back steps for most folks that people, some people don't even realize that are edible. And then, of course, once you get out into the, our public lands or vast native systems, I mean, there's so many plants out there that are edible or have great medicinal properties that, that these, these types of, uh, of events like we're going to host tomorrow night are definitely what, uh, what people need to look for. It's funny you said that about dandelions because I had just read an article. This was like two weeks ago. I had just read an article about how healthy and, and good medicinal dandelions were. And then uh, my brother's wife made me dandelion jelly. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to try this. It was really good, by the way. So, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, there's cool. I, and you, you walk around, you see dandelions all the time. And you just, I would never have thought of it. No, people definitely do not. They don't realize right there, especially in the springtime, and you have this great salad bar right there growing in your yard. <laughs> and there's so many cool things you can do with dandelions as far as making different tinctures and stuff with them. So as far as people getting involved, um, like I said, I, I just renewed, and 
you might have some other information, but what I was seeing on there when I renewed um, is kind of like a uh, puts you in a in a lottery for drawings. It looks like we still have time for a two hundred fifty dollar certificate to court uh, corkers, uh, mm-hmm. a Yeti cooler, and then what really caught my attention and was a closer for me was if you if you do it by August thirty first, I believe, an NRS Deluxe slipstream 120 fishing rash package which i looked up it was pretty pricey i mean it was like five six grand so uh that was that was a closure for me as soon as i saw that i mean that was that was just icing on the cake yeah absolutely man so yeah that is like winning the lottery if you get that that uh nrs system but yeah that's you know bha we do a lot of great membership incentives we were giving away this past spring a really sweet public landowner bison t-shirt um so, but then we kind of integ- uh, integrated over to our summer membership incentive, which is the uh, membership you just, uh, the, the giveaway you just kind of introduced is we do have a deluxe NRS slipstream 120 fishing wrapped that will be given away at the end of August. And then of course, intermediate or in- intermittently in between all that, we have some drawing dates. Um, we just drew out a $250 gift card to Grundens back in June 26th. And July 27th is our next draw date for the $250 gift certificate to Corkers. Uh, August 7th, we're going to draw for the Yeti Tundra 35 pillar. And then August 31st will be the, the drawing for that NRS package. So, yeah, it's it's one of those, you know, you can log on to BHA and we can put some links out there. You can also follow us on social media. We have a really good or fantastic Instagram and Facebook uh, thread through BHA on West Virginia, especially. It's packed. And it's you can kind of scroll through. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, our, our our communications team in West Virginia is phenomenal right now, getting content out there. And you, you'll be able to see those uh, those uh, that that link to log on to be able to sign up for some of these incentives. I got uh, but it's my definitely fingers. worth it. It's worth a chance. I got my fingers crossed for sure for that raft because I just sold my boat for. I'm going back to school for school money. So I've been sitting there, kind of sitting at my dock. I got, I did get a paddle board, but I was like, man, I wish I had a little boat to get out there and fish <laughs> on. So yeah, right. I got, I got my fingers crossed on that uh, raft package. Oh man, this little slipstream raft would be great for somebody in West Virginia with all the rivers and stuff y'all mm-hmm. have over there to go flow. That'd be, it'd be awesome. But yeah, I mean, it's it's thirty five bucks is is our normal annual membership for an individual, and like I said earlier, that goes a long way to help out our state chapters doing a lot of this great work that we're doing. And so it's a pretty modest price to really get involved with our state chapter. And I, and I also invite people, once you sign up as a member, I mean, reach out to these state chapter leaders, um, no matter what state you're in, and see how you can be involved. You may not have a whole lot of time to volunteer, but even if you can help in your area, help you know set up an event, or at least obviously attend events whenever they are being uh, facilitated nearby, but, you know, help set up one of those social conservation coffees or a local pint night at one of your favorite local pubs or something. Or, or if you are really passionate about a certain WMA, a piece of public, you know, help us make the connections to the property manager if you know them out there. And then you can kind of help, you know, bring some more value to the table whenever we run those events. So I mean, there's a lot of great ways to be involved um, with all of our state chapters. Yeah, the benefits for sure. I was actually surprised that the price hadn't went sky high like everything else because i'm getting ready to, when i get off of this episode i'm going to go in walmart and get groceries for the week and i'm probably looking at about 350 bucks so 35 bucks is just a, a small portion compared to what we spend nowadays on everything with you know wages are going up and the cost of everything's uh-huh. going up and I, w- I was surprised that that did not yeah, you're right, and you're right. That three hundred fifty dollars is probably about three grocery sacks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I cringe every time I go to the store every week. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna walk out here with three bags and spend two hundred dollars. Yep. And, have and I'll open up the fridge. <laughs> I'll open up the fridge when I get home, and I'll be like, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. 
But it's, it's one of those where, you know, kind of going back to earlier as, or as far as the why, whenever I you know, take my daughter to these events, you know, conservation, I mean, you know, we buy our hunting and fishing licenses and our stamps, and that does a little bit, but we really have to do more. I mean, you, historically, you can look across every state nationwide, we are losing our hunting and anglers. Um, so our license sales are going down, and that's literally what our state agencies rely on for conservation work, for these WMAs. You know, for for hunter safety classes for our kids, for for all the stuff that we all love to do, we we really have to help feed the system somehow. So you know, being part of you know these conservation organizations like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is a great way to do a little bit more to to really have that lasting impact for yourself and obviously for your for future generations within your family. So I mean, it's, it's important to try to be involved in some capacity. Yep, very important. And speaking of getting involved, if uh, you want to talk a little bit about Muster in the Marsh coming up, I know that's your your guys' big event coming up, and I believe, I'm going to mispronounce this, but Conneaut, Ohio? Yep, you got it, man, Conneaut. You got, I, know, I saw you guys got a couple of big names there. You got Ryan Callahan and, and Kevin Murphy. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, kind of tell people what they can expect if, if they're able to make it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good segue into that. So, yeah, we have, so BHA has an annual event typically called Muster in the Mountains, but this year the Ohio chapter is hosting it, and we chose a location up there just south of Lake Erie in Conneaut, Ohio, at the uh, Outfitter, or sorry, Coverbridge Outfitters Lodge. Um, great little facility. We can't wait to be up there to host this event. We do have a couple of big names. So, yeah, we have Ryan Callahan with a meat eater. Um, if you guys listen to Meat Eater or Ryan has his own podcast, you're going to hear Ryan quite a bit on the Meat Eater podcast with Ranilla and Giannis and all those guys. Um, but Ryan's also the director of conservation for Meat Eater. He's also on the North American Backcountry Hunters and Anglers board as our vice chair. So Ryan's very involved with BHA. Um, so he will definitely be there all weekend. And then we have Kevin Murphy, who's uh, people have seen on, uh, on Meat Eater as well. He's runs a little platform called the small game nation. Um, he's taken Steve out and you know, amongst many, many others out in some of the great you know, small game hunting escapades. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet Kevin several times now, at some functions here in Kentucky. And I tell you what, you, you see what you get. He is a very genuine guy. And I think a lot of people here in the Midwest can definitely relate to him because we all, a lot of us cut our teeth on small game hunting. And, you know, so many people, including myself, I still small game hunt, but my, my primary focus is large game. But then, you know, seeing someone like Kevin have that huge passion for small game really kind of makes me circle back to kind of really look at how I was introduced into hunting and especially the social aspect of small game and how much fun it is to get new people out there, get the kids involved with small game. You you don't have to be hush, hush, quiet in the deer stand or the turkey blind, or you can actually have a great time, you know, with a lot of people on some of those, those excursions. So I'm excited to get Kevin up there because uh, he's definitely going to bring a lot of passion to it all, too. And then, you know, on top of those two great dudes, we're going to have, you know, a lot of BHA staff. Myself, uh, our Eastern Regional Manager, Chris Hennessy, is going to be there. We're going to have our Northeast Chapter Coordinator. His name's Chris Borgatti. He's going to come. Um, we have uh, Caden MacArthur, who is one of our National Policy Leads Coordinators. He's uh, He actually lives in D.C. So Caden's going to be there to help talk, you know, run through some policy stuff. with. We have Trevor Hubbs. Uh, and Trevor is our Armed Forces Initiative Coordinator, um, which gives me a chance to talk about that quickly. A couple other even, uh, things we have with BHA is we have our AFI, which is kind of a young thing going on. Trevor has been here for BHA two years now. has really vastly grown our Armed Forces Initiative. So any, you know, Gold Star families, veterans, active duty military, 
can, can join BHA through the AFI program, a bit of a reduced cost as far as the membership fees go. And then there are a lot of events out there catered towards just our veterans, just for AFI members. Um, whether it be, you know, some you know, clay shoots, which you know, a lot of our chapters have, but we might have some veteran or AFI specific only uh, clay shoots or actual hunts. Um, but there's also a great way to get more involved with our AFI program. And we're really looking for somebody in West Virginia, a veteran, to kind of help run the AFI program for the state itself through our chapter. Um, so if anyone, any veterans out there listening that would be interested in being involved, um, I'd be happy to make a contact with you and then introduce you over to Trevor Hubs and some of our AFI liaisons to see how we can get that operational in West Virginia. Um, but one of the great things about our AFI program is, you know, we we actually, the, the idea behind it is to really build conservation as a new mission for our veterans, especially for anyone just getting out of active duty. It gives them an opportunity to kind of re-engage with hunting and fishing or get into it for the first time. But it gives people that, that detailed mission to really focus on um, with conservation, hunting and fishing. So it's not really a one-time go to this great event and you're done. Our idea is to cultivate that into people. Um, so Very Trevor and a lot of hit, for him too. it is absolutely. So Trevor and, and all the FI folks that, that has, uh, assisting him in that effort, they've done a fantastic job. Um, but then we also have a great collegiate chapter or collegiate club program. Um, and we have, uh, we have a great club up there in Morgantown. Um, and we have one over here in Murray state is very active. So we have the opportunity too to get a lot of our collegiate clubs going in a lot of our universities, which helps cultivate our young conservation leaders. And it gets it gives uh, gives the students a, a, an active method of being involved with conservation, but then also you can learn a lot of skills as far as event planning and marketing and, and communication. Um, so that's it's a great program to have too. So it's so BHA has a lot to offer to a wide diverse group of folks um, to get people involved with with uh, with BHA and with conservation. And of course, what great way to do that? What better way to do that than obviously coming to the muster and the marsh event in Ohio? So Circling back to that, because I'm pretty long-winded, <laughs> that is uh, July 21st through the 23rd in Conneaut, Ohio, just a little uh, little south of Lake Erie. We have, like we said earlier, we have Ryan Callahan, Kevin Murphy coming, um, a lot of our BHA staff, and of course, we have a lot of awesome BHA leaders from several of our states, from Ohio, from West Virginia. We have people coming from New York and Pennsylvania, from Indiana. So you're going to have, in Kentucky, you're going to have a, a lot of great conservation leaders from BHA that'll be attending that event. So what a fantastic opportunity to come and meet some folks involved and learn how you can get more involved. But we have some education sessions as far as intro to trapping. Um, we have, let's see, we have some stream restoration um, um, classes that are gonna be there. We have, I'm gonna pull it up real quick, my schedule. Um, we're gonna have some fly casting demonstrations and lessons. We're gonna have the, uh, Let's see. We'll have uh, uh, three different bands for some live music. We'll have a lot of kids' classes, or sorry, kids' uh, activities, or as a scavenger hunt and art class. A lot of our vendors are going to be there. So we have Cabela's coming. We have uh, Ohio DNR. We're going to have some archery, like the NAF trailer, and then an inflatable archery uh, um, thing set up for the kiddos to be able to participate with. We have some good sponsors that are going to be helping with uh, like our, our morning coffee chats. We have Wild Rippers Coffee. We have uh, um, and there's there's a long list of people who are going to be there. We have Tambini Outdoors doing invasive species. We have uh, Sam Vita Custom Knives doing a turtling and turtle cleaning. So anyone interested in uh, eating snapping turtles, um, Evan Sam Vita is going to be there kind of demonstrating how to, how to clean a turtle. 
which would be pretty cool. Um, we have an EnviroScience, which is a consulting agency, is going to be there kind of doing some uh, some kind of public-private practices for best conservation um, for our native and or game and non-game species. So, And then river entomology, as far as match the hatch, so kind of doing a quick uh, intro on the, the creek, the Conneaut Creek that runs right through the property about, you know, what is down there as far as fish food. So that'd be a fun interactive uh, um, session for a lot of kids. And we'll have some policy stuff with Ryan Callahan and chapter leaders. Um, we're going to have some storytelling on Saturday night with uh, several you know, several great stories coming up there. So we have a list of folks getting up to tell some of their favorite public land stories. So yeah, it's it's, a, it's an overnight camping trip on Friday and Saturday night. There's plenty of camping, plenty of space there still available. So it's going to be a fantastic, fantastic weekend. It's It sounds like there is a ton of things to do. Um, there will be, yeah. <laughs> just that, just the fly casting. I mean, just that alone, I, I'm sure would draw in a lot of people. I know a lot of people are, are looking to get into fly fishing. Um, Jameson, how, if someone was interested in going, how would they sign up or do they need to sign up? Do they just come? Do they need to be a member? How does that work? Oh, they do not need to be a member, but it is a ticketed event. Um, the best, easiest thing to remember is just www.musterinthemarsh.com. So we actually just kind of bought that domain name. It's linked to our BHA event page, which there you can find the ticket prices, um, the camp prices. Um, you can also find another link in there. So Friday evening of the event, to kind of kick it all off, we have a field-to-table conservation dinner. And that's being hosted by the Cleveland Field Kitchen event. It requires a different ticket. Uh, but you're going to have, you know, a, an opportunity to try a variety of different wild games, um, some forged items, some locally grown produce, some local vegetables and, and herbs from local gardens. Um, and we'll have Ryan Callahan there kind of hosting that. We'll have a couple other presentations. We have some auction items coming out. Um, and then, you know, that, that'll that really kind of help kick off the event. There's only six, actually, there's only 60 seats available for that. So it's a very limited entry event that field the table. But it's definitely a great opportunity to try some awesome wild game, meet some wonderful individuals that love conservation, and and once again, learn a bit more, a bit more about BHA and get ready for the, the rest of the weekend. Okay. That, yeah, I'm sure you would have to, I'm sure you couldn't have like 500 seats for that, uh, for that. No. Wow. Yeah, that would be a lot <laughs> no, of a meat and uh, uh, forethought, but uh, as, as far as planning for all that food. But uh, if, uh, say someone uh, wanted to take a buddy along last minute, are there tickets at the door? Do you have to get them ahead of time? Or how does that work? Oh, no, you can you can get them at the door. So, yeah, if you just last second, oh, yeah, we have time, let's go. There, there's tickets at the door. It's just 20 bucks for the day. Um, per person that wants to come in for the, the single individual ticket, that's that does not include, that's just for Saturday only. Um, with that, you do get one raffle ticket. And then, of course, we have a ton of raffle prizes we're uh, going to raffle off at the event um, from a lot of our national partners along with our state partners, too, um, and some, some more regional um, donations we receive for muster. Um, so, yeah, you can come for that. You can also pay a little bit more of a higher package or ticket cost, which is... Uh, it's 60 bucks. For one, you get three raffle tickets, so you get a better chance of winning stuff. But you also get a little gift bag, which will include like a, a mustard in the marsh cookie, some stickers. Um, I believe uh, we're going to, well, I don't know if we're going to throw a drink ticket in there or not, but we also give you for that 60 bucks, you get your annual BHA membership. So $35 value. So really, oh, that's a steal. Then. You're only paying, yeah, you're only paying $25 at this point, really, for the mustard ticket. And then you get two additional raffle tickets. And you get some extra stickers and a koozie. So you get a little bit more. So really, you're only paying about overall, you know, 
$15 for the actual ticket because of all the extra incentives you get with that, that advanced ticket price. Yeah. Might as well but just like go ahead and get the $60 one. Yeah. If you want to become a member or you need to renew your membership, or if you want to buy somebody else a membership, you can actually gift that membership to somebody else. I wish I would have known that about like uh, an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. We should have waited for this. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's going to be a big benefit of that ticket. Then of course, like I said, we have overnight camping, which is just, uh, it's just 10 bucks to camp out for one night for a tent site. So I mean, you really can't, you can't, you can't beat that. It's going to be a pretty cheap trip. And then, you know, with that all day Saturday, you have, like I said, starting at eight o'clock in the morning, we have vendors, we have coffee chat, we have all those sessions all the way into storytelling on Saturday night. And then we'll have the live music and a bonfire and, and a good time for everybody. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, if there's if there's anything else you want to add, go ahead and do it now. The equipment is starting to get hot in this truck, and I'm worried about the equipment every evening. <laughs> yeah, I, bet. I, I think that was a pretty solid uh, episode. Lots of good info, especially in West Virginia, which is, is I really appreciate that because I, I know a lot of people have been asking me about that, and I've been wondering. And some of that stuff's just hard to hard to find sometimes, even online. But uh, it's a great overview of Mustard in the Marsh. Sounds like a, a, a great event. Um, I'm going to try to make it out after work, if depending on how my shift goes. But uh, anything else you want to add? No, I think the main thing is, folks that want to be involved, especially in West Virginia, we've, we've really, really got some great momentum going over there. We have some really good chapter volunteers on the, on the chapter board. Um, and, and they have an absolute unique passion for, for doing some great conservation work in West Virginia. So you'll definitely stay on the lookout for more events coming around. Um, we, we've kind of picked it up a little bit this year, but I know next year we'll have definitely have quite a few more. Um, so yeah, reach out, follow us on social, um, Instagram and Facebook, West Virginia Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. If you need anything, have any questions about muster, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. My email is hibbs, H-I-D-D-S, at backcountryhunters.org. Happy to answer any questions about BHA or any events coming down the line. And uh, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to jump on here. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. I'll try to get some of that stuff linked down on the, uh, on the show notes and uh, great episode. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you at some point coming up. Even if uh, I can't make it to muster in the marsh, maybe we'll meet up for uh, some grouse hunting or some fishing or something sometime when you're in West Virginia. Heck yeah, man. I'm all about that. I, I would love to come over. Any excuse, <laughs> I'll be over there. <laughs> That's right. All right. And that was uh, Jameson Hibbs with uh, BHA. Thanks, Jameson. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye.